So what's my future? You don't have one. I see you, but you can't see me. Now, as we open another tomb inside the catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights podcast. My name is Hunter, and I could not be more electrified. If you catch my drift, there's a pun there to do an opening night reaction review episode about the two Halloween Horror Nights houses that we got a chance to see today that opened up for daytime guests for this weekend. And that is The Bride of Frankenstein Lives and Revenge of the Two Fairy. This is something that we've been talking about for a little while in the community. Hey, you know, HHN 30 has been postponed, but. A lot of these houses are done, and they're just kind of hanging out there. Are we going to get a chance to see something from the event this year? And boy, did we ever. It was super surreal to walk into a Halloween Horror Nights house at 9 o'clock in the morning. And I'm going to do my best to give that experience the description that it deserves. I'm going to do my best to capture a little bit of that magic. But before we do that, I want to go ahead and explain what this episode is going to be. So this episode is going to be divided into three parts. Three parts exactly. The first part, we are going to be doing a spoiler-free mini-review about the two houses. So if you just want to hear the basic details, you want to know how it is, if I enjoyed it, uh, spoilers, you don't have to worry about that at all. <laughs> if that's good enough for you, you can shut it off now. But if you want a little bit more information, I'm going to do my best to keep it as spoiler-free in the context of the houses as possible. And you know, this is a hard situation because there's a lot of speculation and I, I'm personally part of this camp. I think these houses are our first two for HHN 30 next year, just in an expanded format, maybe a slightly tweaked format um, without some of the, the adjustments that they've had to make to accommodate for this year. But we don't know for certain, but if you wanna go spoiler free, there's a whole section for that just for you. After that, I'm going to be giving a couple minutes each to do a spoiler, kind of not exactly a room-by-room room breakdown, but a little bit of a discussion about each house so we can get into the nitty-gritty a little bit more. And then finally, at the very end, I put out for, hey, if you guys have any questions, I'm going to be recording tonight. So hit me up, let me know what you want to hear, and I've got a good little selection of questions. One other really cool thing that I have for you all is I do have snippets of the audio from the two houses featured at the event. This is going to go into the spoiler section for each house. After I finish my discussion talking about each one and doing that, that mini review, I will play some clips from the actual house, maybe get a little bit of a, an auditory feel for it because you can definitely feel the HHN magic if you just close your eyes and, and you know, <laughs> a 
pray to our, our Lord and Savior, Jack the Clown. You, you can just feel those good vibes overtaking you. So I do have audio from both those I'm excited to share with you. And once again, it's not going to be the full thing. I'll probably even mix them up out of order so you don't know where what takes place in the house. But I wanted to give you a little treat for those of you who cannot make it. But without further ado and all of that introductory stuff out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our spoiler-free reaction of The Revenge of the Two Fairy and The Bride of Frankenstein Lives. So I think it's important to give you all a little bit of backstory before we actually get into the house. I know this is the boring stuff, but some of you all want to know. I got to the park around 7 o'clock yesterday morning. Or excuse me, this morning. <laughs> it just feels like a whole day ago. So I left my house, excuse me, I left my house at 7 o'clock. I parked at Universal at around 7.25. I was at the front gate through security, through the temperature checks, all of that fun stuff. I was at the front gate by about 7.35, 7.40. So very early morning, the park opens at 8 o'clock, excuse me, at 9 o'clock. And as well, the houses also open at 9 o'clock. So like I said, it was very surreal to walk into Universal on a beautiful Saturday morning. I, I say beautiful with, with a little bit of sarcasm because you know how the humidity gets. I walked in at 9 o'clock and was immediately able to walk over to Revenge of the Tooth Fairy. So how they've been doing this is everything is virtual queue. To see the two houses, you do have to make a virtual queue return time. However, if you were there first thing in the morning and you're one of the first 200 people or so for each individual house, you can actually wait in the standby queue without having to make a virtual queue reservation. So that's an important distinction there. So while we were in line for Tooth Fairy, uh, one member of my party was able to make a return time for The Bride of Frankenstein Lives about 20 minutes after we had finished Revenge of the Two Fairy. And then we were also, another member of my party was able to make a return time for Two Fairy again. So we were able to go into Two Fairy, immediately go over to Bride, and then return to Two Fairy. And then, I guess I'll go ahead and mention this, we were able to snag, due to, I guess, someone's cancellation, another Bride of Frankenstein Lives reserve time after that. So... Let's talk about Revenge of the Tooth Fairy. Once again, this is going to be spoiler, uh, spoiler free for the time being. So, Revenge of the Tooth Fairy is very interesting because it is totally scary tales, like aesthetic and vibe, without the scary tales nomenclature. So, you'll remember if for those of you that followed the speculation maps, this one was always kind of like subtitled Tooth Fairy, but it was called Bedtime Stories. And there's a reason for that. It totally plays into the bedtime story aesthetic. And it's basically, you've got these mischievous creatures, these two fairies, and they are wrecking all sorts of havoc. That's all I'm going to give you because that's been released in the press statements. But this very much feels like old HHN. There's something about the way this house is put together. It's very confined, especially for a soundstage house. This house never really has that big, wide-open moment like you would even get in Scary Tales. The facade is very impressive, and it totally takes advantage of its source material. It really delivers on that, that promise. It's very fantastical, but it's also very gory. It's, it's a very gross house, especially if you have a thing for 
mouths and a well obviously teeth you're gonna get grossed out in this house it's 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 pretty heavy-handed with it i think it's a blast and i do think the fact that a lot of the scare actors being playing fairy actors being smaller in stature helps this house a lot just because they are a little bit lower. They can put them in more creative areas. And I just think it really works out. Um, as a tall guy myself, you know, it's not always a big lumbering individual running at you, but sometimes it's, it's the little folk. It's, it's the Shelby sized people uh, coming for your ankles that, that really strikes fear in your heart. So two fairy was awesome. I, I gotta say, like, it totally kicked me off in the right mood, because from the moment I entered it, it was very much that, that coming home feeling that you get um, every single year if you're able to do that with, hey, I am walking into a soundstage, I'm going past these big black curtains, and here's the facade, and I'm about to have an awesome time with my friends. And that's very fortunately, you know, being a local, what I was able to do today. Revenge of the Tooth Fairy is one that I think will stand up. If it does come back next year, I think it will absolutely stand up amongst the other houses, even if it's a repeat, just because I think it's that good. And I think the fan reaction online very much speaks to that. So into the spoiler-free review of Bride of Frankenstein Lives... Wow. <laughs> like, wow, 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 wow. So this is my favorite of the two. I've kind of seen it go back and forth online. Hey, I prefer Revenge of the Two Fairy. Hey, I prefer The Bride of Frankenstein Lives. And I think it really depends on what you are looking for. For me, you focus on the Universal Monsters. That's probably going to be my favorite, just because I have a close attachment to that. And the way that this one ties in to the seminal and classic Bride of Frankenstein is is awesome. It takes that classic movie, it modernizes it, and it uses those new monster designs that we've seen the last few years in Hollywood and Orlando, and really does something creative and fun with it. I really, really enjoyed this house from the... Uh, both these houses have great facades. I think the Bride of Frankenstein facade is the better one. That is personal taste, just because I really like those huge like oh my god like wow this is a this is a thing they built that's going to be teared down in two months well hopefully not in this case but you know what i'm saying on the normal hhn cycle i man it is i want to say so much more about this house but i can't without getting into the spoiler discussion just know the bride herself is awesome there's a lot of cameos there's a lot of fun things throughout the setting is nice. You have a combination of those big sets, those confined sets, and the storytelling displayed, honestly, in both these houses is unlike anything that I've seen at HHN for a minute, just because they use, they both use narration in a very interesting way to guide you through the story. Instead of you having to piece things together, they kind of give you the story as you're walking through it. And I think that's something that really works for these houses. Okay, so this is your moment. If you do not want spoilers, go ahead and jump ship now, because we are about to dive in in three, two, one. Okay, so I'm going to do these in the same order. I'm going to start with Revenge of the Two Fairy and then make my way over into The Bride of Frankenstein Lives. So I'm going to do my best to just kind of go through it in order. I might jump around a little bit here, but I'm going to try to keep it in sequential order. So... 
The entrance is very Scary Tales soundstage aesthetic, and meaning that you are walking into the pages of a story. So when you walk in, you have the massive pages hanging from the rafters that are basically describing the story of this kid named James and how he refuses to give up his tooth to the tooth fairy. And that is the backstory for this. This selfish little child <laughs> is about to ruin things for everybody just because he won't give up his old tooth. So you turn the corner after going through all these pages, and the facade is a giant book. It's a giant pop-out book, specifically. So you turn the corner, you have the maids, you have the child in the bed, and then you have two of the various fairies. There might be three. I, I would have to revisit just to make sure. But you have two of the fairies popping out from different locations, which totally sets the tone of, hey, we are uh, we are about to walk into this story and the fairies are going to be everywhere. So you go past the facade and you enter. One thing I did want to mention before we did that, um, there's a lot of motion to this facade, which is very interesting. Like I said, it's a pop-out book. So the child, James, in his bed is sliding, like you're pulling him on a little paper tab through the bed. And then the two fairy, as you were pulling James forward, the two fairy is rising up behind him, like he's about to pounce. And then you have another one that is moving, and then the two fairy is upside down, hanging out the window, staring at you. And I think it's so cool, because it is this classic storytelling aesthetic to it, where it's this, this like, almost sepia tone to it, maybe almost like grayscale, and it just, it really puts you into that world. It's so cool. So once you round the corner from the facade, you have kind of a transitionary hallway that's the last book of the page, and you are immediately put into the bedroom with a dead kid in the bed with his mouth ripped open, a two fairy on the floor next to the bed picking at teeth, and then a two fairy to the right of you that is another boo hole. And this is where it was our first exposure to what they are doing different this year with the necessary precautions due to COVID. So all of the scare actors, if they are masked characters, I'm assuming they are wearing a, a protective respiratory mask underneath their actual facial covering. The two fairies are actually wearing full headgear and full costumes. And I'm assuming the mask is underneath that, or maybe it's just really blended well into the front of the face, but you do not see a surgical mask or or anything like that. However, you do get that in The Bride of Frankenstein Lives, so we'll probably talk about that. Additionally, each of the scares is covered by a plexiglass, so it is covered by a plastic covering, like a curtain, or it is covered by a plexiglass. I will say the scare actors really are working their station. They are totally delivering the best scares that they possibly can. It is noticeable. I would say it is probably less noticeable in this house just due to how well it's placed and how dark the house is. So the lighting of this house, the most apropos like description that I can use as far as how bright it is, I think like the Hansel and Gretel scene from Scary Tales Deadly After, Ever After, that's the most recent example I can give you, and that's about what you're working with, basically like a candlelight style fixture. So you're in this old mansion, and after the child has been claimed, 
And it's it's really an interesting story because they're basically saying, if you do not give it up to the two fairy, you get turned into one of these creatures yourselves, which I think is very interesting and super twisted and like, excuse my cursing, it's kind of fucked up, but like in the best way, it's it's really good. <laughs> but so you navigate through this mansion and you go through the different uh, corridors. So this is not going to be in order. I'm just going to list them off. But like you go through the servant kitchen and there's uh, a corpse <laughs> leaning over a table with uh, cranberries right next to him. So hopefully they were about to enjoy a good dinner. But he is burnt to a crisp because the, the two fairy has the two fairies have shoved him into the oven. You go into the servant quarters and the servants, while they were sleeping, had their jaws ripped open and their teeths claim teeths you know accepted it's fine uh i speak good um and then there's another scene where there's a butler next to a fireplace which has an awesome fire effect i know nobody's looking at that because this scene has a great little scare actor hidden in it but the butler is strung up by what looks like dental floss from the ceiling <laughs> which is like i said it's beautifully morbid and twisted and this very much delivers on that classic HHN gore feel that sometimes you get, sometimes you don't, but it it totally works for this aesthetic. There's also dental sounds played while you're in here. So with everything, as far as like safety, what they're having to do is on our second run of Two Fairy, they are actually holding you at certain areas. So on Two Fairy, we actually had it through every single room. Our first run through was a normal walkthrough. But then on the second run through, we were getting held up in each room. And that was great. You know, for a second time, we really got a chance to soak up the different details. But it's really unnerving because mixed into the soundtrack, you hear like dentist drills and that sort of thing. And the fear of teeth is like a very common one. And I think this is one that, that's really going to get under people's skin. Shout out to my good friend, Brad Jost. He's going to hate this house. I can just 100% tell. Hate it in the best way. But yeah, I, I want to do this one again immediately. Just because, though I prefer Bride of Frankenstein, I don't think these are... I don't honestly think one is better than the other. It's just going to come down to personal preference. Um, a couple of other things, as you're walking through the house, the storybook feeling continues throughout it. So if you look on the walls, there's basically small little paragraphs that are describing what's happening in each scene that you're going through, and I thought that was a nice touch. And the two fairies just get wilder and more gruesome, and then you go into like Fairy Hollow at the very end, which is this dark, almost like the, the, the catacombs from House of a Thousand Corpses last year, but with these two fairy creatures who are these big, bug-eyed, little wings, mischievous creatures. They're really freaky. And if I had one nitpick about this house is that the scares are are kind of repetitive just because the two fairies are the primary um, sources of danger. You do see some human scare actors that are having their teeth ripped out, but a lot of those are done by mannequins and makeup effects and that sort of thing so the diversity in the the enemies <laughs> the diversity in the in the bad guys throughout this house unfortunately there's not a ton of it but it's never as much of an issue where you're really thinking about it until you leave the house and for that that's good enough for me so you know it's always hard to gauge 
a house on just two run-throughs or an opening night review, but I definitely think people are going to be happy with this one. I was very happy with it, and like I said, I couldn't have thought of a better way to kickstart my day, so I definitely feel that this house deserves a solid A rating. And like I said at the top of the show, as a small treat for you all, I do have a tiny bit of audio from this house that I would like to share with you all. So, let's go ahead and uh, let's remove some teeth, y'all. The very folk aren't kind, nor forgiven. But spoiled James just shook his head. So what if they? They can't have it if they'll take the treats with God. But they'll hurt us and take you away. You'll be doomed to live forever as a cursed monster. And as if to settle the argument of the bed. Okay, so now let's talk about The Bride of Frankenstein Lives. This is one that was very high up on my anticipation list, and so was Two Fairy. Two Fairy was right underneath it, looking at that initial speculation map. In fact, there was only one rumored house that had these beat, and that was the Icon's house. So a lot of really high hopes for this one, especially using the Universal Monster branding, but being a sequel to my favorite house last year, and one of my favorite HHN houses ever, Universal Monsters from HHN 29. Using those Crash McCreary-designed monsters from the Hollywood house a few years back, absolutely fell in love with it. Meme aside, <laughs> no Dracula in this house. Let's go ahead and, and lay that out. I'm a little disappointed, but now Frankenstein owes me money, so it's, it's all good. But yes, so this house, very high expectations, and boy oh boy, it totally delivered. <laughs> so this one's very interesting because it's one of the first times that I personally have seen an introductory scene done like this, and instead of the overhead hanging portraits or pictures, like you would see a Scary Tales, or I mean they were just decoration, but Us, or, or one of those... This one, you were actually walking by a castle wall and projected through there. There's little holes in the brick wall there. You can look through and you are seeing Frankenstein Castle collapse from the end of The Bride of Frankenstein. So from that movie, I, mean, I think it's an actual clip from the film, you are seeing the castle collapse right before the credits hit. The music is playing and you've got those classic vintage monster Hollywood vibes going. It's its really incredible. So after you walk past that, you have the main facade, which is massive. It is the castle in rubble. It is fully exploded. There's, uh, you, can, you can smell burnt singes. The wood is on fire and the bride is on top above you. Think like Scary Tales Deadly Ever After. I keep using that comparison just because I feel like it relates in tone to Two Fairy, and as far as sense of scale for facade, it works for Bride. So 
not a bias here, I promise. But she is above you, and there is a giant banister that has fallen on top of her mate, that, that has fallen on top of Frankenstein's monster. And she's lifting it up, and she realizes he's dead, basically. He is gone, he has collapsed, and I'm not sure what happened between the last, you know... 30 seconds between the end of Bride of Frankenstein to now. Let's disregard that. That that maybe is my one, like, okay, I guess. Like, it's fine. It doesn't bug me. It's just interesting. It's a turn of event. Had a very quick change of heart. But she lifts it up, drops it, and then there's this cool little smoke effect when she drops it, um, that, that banister that she's holding. And she screams that classic Bride of Frankenstein yell. You go into the castle, and you're assuming it's a couple days later it's possibly a couple months later you are hearing her narration the bride of frankenstein takes you through this house with her narration and that's that's actually something that i did forget to mention and, and tooth fairy and i'm super sorry about that both of these houses feature narration throughout so they're very storytelling focused which i thought was interesting instead of you having to figure out what's going on they are, they are telling you what, what, what's going on, whether that's now the two fairies are out to play in the servants' quarters. That, that's not an exact quote, but you get the idea. Or the Bride of Frankenstein going, um, I have made many an experiment to bring him back to life, that sort of thing. And it's, it's an interesting juxtaposition from what we've seen before, just because normally you're like, oh, okay, I can figure out what's going on. But to actually be given the story... That's a very interesting change-up, and I, and I like that, to be honest. So you see the scene a few times, but you round the corner, and there is the Bride of Frankenstein, and she is in full lab coat gear. She is in the classic Dr. Frankenstein gear, but it's the bride instead. Her, her black and white hair, uh, <laughs> the, the, the beehive, the Marge Simpson, whatever, however you want to refer to it. And she has a, I, I guess, like a female Igor that's in there who's awesome but the story of this house is actually really sick and twisted and not sick and twisted in the way where you're playing with a phobia like the two fairy but basically the bride is capturing vampires who could be dracula's wives it could be something else dracula like i said is not in this house but she's capturing these female vampires who are i'm assuming dracula's wives and doing experiments on them, she is draining their blood and torturing them so she can resurrect Frankenstein. It's super twisted, honestly. But she's dedicated. She loves her man. You know, once again, not sure what happened, but she she loves her man. She's going she's gonna to stand by him. Uh, it's that scene from the Blues Brothers. Stand by your man. All that fun stuff. But, so you're navigating through this castle. She's torturing these vampires. And there are so many great lines throughout here with the narration. I really like the one where she basically says something along the lines of, they must devour so they can bleed. Something along those lines. That, that's not exactly correct, and I, I'm sorry. Uh, I have it in the audio somewhere. I'd have to double check. But, wow. Like, she sends us into the pits of the castle so we can be eaten or... or yeah, I guess Eden drained, I guess is a, a more appropriate term. So we can be drained so she can bring back her mate, the monster. So it's a super interesting idea. I'm just really kind of blown away by it. There was a lot of speculation that this was going to be 
the Brides of Dracula versus the Bride of Frankenstein, and it's not really a versus. There's not, like, a lot of fighting against each other or anything like that. She is a very smart woman. <laughs> she is a very ambitious woman. She's just captured all these vampires, and once again, she's torturing them to get what she needs. At the end of the house, she does manage to resurrect her monster, and then they are back together to wreak some havoc. And it has a great finale scare. From the right, you've got the bride. From the left, you've got Frankenstein's monster. And they double team you. And it's an awesome closer. It's, it's really good. So here is a little bit of audio from The Bride of Frankenstein Lives for you all. Okay, so like I said, I do have time to answer a couple questions, and I'd like to go ahead and hit those from those of you who took the time to ask, uh, just because I feel like a lot of people have similar questions and want them answered. So this one's from Jordan, and he just says, Hey Hunter, saw, saw your tweet. My question is, where would these two houses rank out of 12 if they were a part of HHN 29? And that's super interesting, because they're hypothetically part of HHN 30, but this is kind of HHN 29.5. It's super tough. So Bride of Frankenstein Lives, I would put below Universal Monsters just because a compilation house like that with everybody is, excuse me, is going to do more for me than just focusing on one pairing as good as it is. So I don't think it would take Universal Monsters off my list, but it'd probably be in the top five. Being perfectly honest, it, it, it'd climb in there, for sure. Tooth Fairy, that one would definitely be in my top five. Just because it, it really nails that aesthetic. I would have to I would have to do the gauging, and I'm doing my best. I always try to be as objective as possible for you guys. Like, hey, is this opening day, like, hype, anticipation, you know, that kind of thing. But... Trying to be as objective as possible once again. I, I think these two deserve it. They are really a special indicator of what HHN 30 was and will be. And I can't wait to see the rest just purely off of this. I mean, what a, what a grand slam as far as these two houses are concerned. You really can't, you really can't top it. So this one came from Theme Park Punk, who just says, Would you like to see the operation of two houses during the daytime expanded into non-pandemic years? Yeah, like, that'd be cool. Run something as a attraction during the day to give those who maybe are nervous to buy a full ticket to HHN um, something that they can check out. However, I will say, operationally, I just think it's way too expensive, to be honest. I, I think paying the scare actors to work during the day, because you're basically hiring four casts, I'm assuming. You would hire two casts to run during the day, two casts during the night. That's a lot of people. Um, it's It would be very expensive. Could Universal afford to do it? 
maybe before all of this started. I know there were rumors last year about Ghostbusters being an all-day operation or, or Stranger Things, but I don't know. I just don't see it happening, unfortunately. So Slam Diego season, SZN says, do you think that Universal could have ran Horror Nights this year still after seeing some houses with the safety precautions and such? Um, honestly, I don't think so. So the reason I'm saying that is you could run, you could hypothetically run the event, but I just do not think it would be the way that the event should have, should run. And I think they made the right decision postponing it. I understand that, hey, like the houses are open. I can go check it out. So why can't they do the rest of it? But you have on the operational end, you're only running two houses versus 10. You're not running scare zones. You're not running a show. There's a lot that comes into the after effect. And like, I just shudder to think honestly, like how they could do something like this at night with the HHN crowds that would normally be pulled in. And then I see this discussed sometimes, but I don't think it gets discussed enough. I think that not doing it this year really was the best call for the fans. I know so many of you that are overseas or could not have made it this year, even if they tried due to lockdowns, restrictions, budgetary reasons. I mean, the world's in a rough state. So I'm very grateful that they did not run the event this year, which adds more fuel to the fire for me as far as believing that, hey, these houses will return so everyone can enjoy them in their fullest capacity. So could they have done it? Maybe, but just, I, I don't think it was the right decision, and I do think they made the right decision here. Give, give the people a taste, and then give us the, the Grand Slam, especially for the 30th anniversary next year. If this was my only chance to, and I think this is a, another point worth bringing up, the fact that they're only doing these two houses, hopefully at least, I, I don't want more than these two houses. I don't want the whole entree given away or half the meal however you want to look at it because I think two houses is the perfect amount as far as getting a sneak preview for HHN 30 if that's the route that they decide to go if you show off if you showed off everything then that is HHN 30 and to experience things like Beetlejuice that people are very excited for to have experienced these two houses uh, Wicked Growth that I know a lot of people were excited for I don't think it was the right decision to exhibit these houses to their fullest ability, and I think that is something that we're seeing right now. They are operational, but it is notable that these scares are not exactly how they should be, even though the cast is working it, it's not their fault. I just don't think it's what people go to HHN for. Would we have shown up? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm glad this isn't how it is. So Jay says, I feel like virtual queue, among many other changes made this year, may stick around for good. What do you think will stick around, and what would you do differently in regards to precautions? So precautions, I can honestly say, I think they're doing everything that they can. Stopping people in rooms if they're going through too fast, giving sanitizer before and after each haunted house, putting the plexiglass up, making the scare actors wear masks. I really believe Universal did everything that they possibly could to make these as safe as possible for people. Um, but running these things duh, still makes it a risk, you know? Even though that, that risk can be reduced, it's still inherently there due to the situation. So I think Universal did everything that they possibly could to address that. 
But about virtual queue, I think that maybe we could see something like that happen for Express Pass in particular. I think that would be very interesting. Hey, here's your Express Pass. You can reserve five now and then more after that or something like that. I think that would be a good change a lot of people would look forward to. Do I see that becoming part of the event overall? Maybe, but it's going to be one of those things. I'm going to have to see it executed to figure out how it's going to work because I've always been a firm believer in if I want to experience an attraction, offer me virtual queue, but also give me the option to wait. And if you're not giving people the option to wait, I think that makes people upset, not because they don't grasp the technology, but just because if they are willing to wait, they understand the risk that comes with that as far as time consumption, and they should be allowed to do so. So that's the only thing I'm thinking about that. <laughs> Duff from HHN365 asks, Who has the best front of party reactions and why is it Nico? It's true. Nico, you beautiful son of a bitch. Britt says, Thoughts on the new pandemic ops, like the social distancing in the houses and the plexiglass. We, we kind of just talked about this, but yeah, I think, I think Universal did everything right that they possibly could. I just really hope that this isn't my only time going through these houses so I can enjoy them without things if the world is in a state that allows us to do so. And I'm, <laughs> I know that's optimistic, but I'm holding hope that, that next year by September we're, we're able to do that thing. Savannah asks, about how long was the wait from when you got your reservations to when you exited each house? So actually from the time we scanned our reservations in, it was only about 15 minutes. And I've seen some people post, hey, you've got all this queue space open, why aren't you utilizing it? And that is honestly, it's the virtual queue is working. They drop times consistently throughout the day for people to be able to check it out. Um, it, there were signs that said the houses were at capacity, but there were times dropping consistently. They, they were at capacity at that time. And I would rather, I would rather from the time I scan my admission have a 15 minute wait than an hour wait. And that happened on Premier Pass preview yesterday. So they, they really worked out some kinks. It'll be interesting to see what happens tomorrow. And finally, my good friend Aaron asks, is the Scarecrow stock something you'd like to see return in some fashion next year for daytime Yes, I know it's not house related, but I think it's so fun. Yeah, absolutely. Let people dress up. Let people do their trick-or-treating. It's fun. It's family-friendly. It's still pretty spooky. Those skeletons are kind of scary in certain areas. So yeah, bring it back. All right, though, that is going to bring us to the end of another episode of the Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We genuinely appreciate it. This is your first time listening to the Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights. Welcome to our spooky family. But for now... For the catacombs of HHN, I've been Hunter, and just remember, the monster never dies. Thank you for listening to the Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights podcast. The Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights is a news as internet entertainment production. For more great podcasts and original entertainment, visit our website at newsaz.com. The Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights is not affiliated with nor endorsed by Universal Studios Florida. All Halloween Horror Nights properties, icons, titles, events, and related items are property, trademark, and copyright Universal Studios or their respective trademark and copyright holders. For more Halloween Horror Nights coverage, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast and follow our Twitter account at Neozaz. 
to help support the series and all the work we do at Newsaz, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Thanks for listening. 